Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Man, it's so good to be with you all. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name's Austin. I'd love to give you a high five, shake your hand after service, get to know you a little bit. Um, I hope you're having an amazing time this Christmas season. Uh, I kind of can't believe just how the speed at which really, I think starting September 1st, it felt like the calendar just started melting apart. You know what I mean? And uh, here we are in December and we're coming up onto just one of the most special weeks probably of the year uh, where we get to hopefully, I hope you find yourself surrounded by some great company this Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Um, around some family or some of those that you love, some roommates, and you get to hang out and have a great, great time. Um, It isn't just all about the busyness of this holiday. I know there's plenty of that, but part of why we're doing Advent, part of what we're hoping to capture in this season is that I believe that God wants to meet people powerfully in this season as well. He wants to meet people through his love and his joy and his peace and his kindness. He wants to arrive himself two people in this time. And like Robin already mentioned, we have been working hard on our Christmas Eve service. The team has been putting in a ton of time so that we might have a space in here on Christmas Eve uh, where we don't just have, uh, you know, just a a really quick moving service with a ton of flashing lights. We want to make a powerful time, a meaningful time where we hopefully get to captivate people's attention towards Jesus, because that is the reason that we're all getting together, is it not? Amen. We've been going through this value series, and today we're going to land the plane officially on the value that Jesus is over everything. Jesus over everything. I've been thinking to myself all week, man, if I can't preach this message, I just shouldn't preach, you know? Like, this is it. This is the reason for our faith. This is the, he is the, the, the hallmark. He is the capstone. He is the reason. He's, everything points to him. Everything is for him. Everything's because of him. And, and if, you're, if you've been around this church long enough, you know that we are a Jesus church. I get the question all the time. Even this week when we were doing the, uh, the, the kids, we had all the kids and their families in here for the packing events that you guys helped with. And we got to bring 35 different families in here and we got to give them all their toys for Christmas Eve. We got to give them to the parents so that they were able to give them to their kids, not necessarily from the church, but it was just this wonderful time. And a few people stopped me, you know, as I'm handing out these little Christmas invites that Robin was just showing you. And I'm saying, hey, love to invite you to Christmas Eve service if you don't have somewhere to go. And they're like, oh yeah, it's great. Are you guys at the Catholic church? Are you, uh, are you a Lutheran church? You know what? I'm like, I know, Good Shepherd Church, like it sounds, it sounds the way, right? Like I've talked about this before, but my only answer that I've come up with is just, it's Jesus. Like it's Jesus, it's a Jesus church. We love Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We sing about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We open up Jesus' word. It's a Jesus. We love Jesus. That is who we are, amen? So Jesus over everything. I, I will unpack it. But before we do that, I want us to all kind of recite together our values. So we can put this slide up on the screen. It's our kind of, 11 values distilled down into three sentences, hopefully in a kind of concise and coherent way, because uh, as much as we want to talk about values or preach about values, they don't mean squat if we don't remember them. If they don't stick into our brains and soak into our hearts, we're not going to be able to be the kind of people that we long to continue to be if we can't remember some of these things. So let's, let's just do, do my heart some good. Would you, would you kind of say this with some gusto with me as we read this together? It says, we are a gospel-obsessed family of kingdom people who see generosity as our response and joy as our default. We carry the name so our words matter and we is greater than me. We are compelled to create and seek encounter over entertainment because Jesus is over everything. Somebody say amen right now. Amen. Jesus over everything. 
I can't help but even just start this sermon just by talking about who Jesus has been in my life personally. Uh, my life was not just bent on this sort of way. I didn't grow up in this Christian house. We didn't go to church all the time. I had some exposure a little bit to a Catholic church, um, but, but really, you know, I grew up, I grew up in a, a relative moralism, if you will. I had good parents who informed me right behavior, wrong behavior. They taught me the way to go. And, and my mom would remind me if I got out of line with maybe some physical pain, if that's what needed to happen. You know what I'm saying? And as, and I don't think I was just bent necessarily towards what we think of as just kind of this classic rebellion. Some of you, man, you were wired towards just classic rebellion. Praise God, he's captivated your heart and he's brought you back into a seat like this. And you know who you are. I mean, you went, you went into just crazyville for a little bit, but here you are, you're in a church, praise God. For me, like I was, I was a lot like less maybe caught up with this party scene or caught up into like all these other different things. You know what I was? I was just really selfish. I was just really self-centered. I thought this whole world was just wired around my consumption, that everyone should really just think really highly of me. Man, so like, was I destined for destruction? The Bible says, yes, I absolutely was. But it wasn't because I was caught up in this gross behavior. It wasn't because I was caught up in all these terrible things necessarily. Mostly it was because I was just, like Katie said last week, the devil doesn't have to get you to have some pentagram uh, tattooed onto your chest. He just has to, to get you to worship anything other than Jesus. And, and the most likely candidate, like she said last week, are three people, me, myself, and I. Thank you very much, right? And so, man, I just thought, man, here's what I'm going to do with my money. Here's what I'm going to do with my life. Here's how I'm going to handle my relationships. Here's how I'm going to, do you see how it just, it's all me. It's all centered around me. I was the king of my world until my kingdom collided with another kingdom. And it was the gospel of Jesus Christ that my kingdom collided with. And what I all of a sudden got to see was that God was not trying to stifle me with his rules. God was not trying to rob anything from me by the way that he ordered the universe to work, but what he was inviting me into graciously and lovingly was a different way of seeing the world around me so I might order my whole life around him and him alone. It's not gonna be my finances and then Jesus. It's not gonna be my time and then Jesus. It's not gonna be my, my relationships and my friendships and then Jesus. No, it was gonna be Jesus transcending all of those spaces so that in everything I do, I just go, God, I want what you want for my life because he offers life abundantly. He offers life to the full. He's forgiven me of my past. He's not holding me to this, all these things that I used to do. He's saying, nope, you're a son of mine. You, uh, like I'm a son of the most high king. Young man right here. What, what's your name in the blue hoodie? Elijah. Elijah, isn't it crazy that right now Jesus is surrounded by thousands of angelic beings and he's receiving worship that belongs to him. And at the same time, he's transcendent enough in this service to, say, to have you reminded that Jesus loves you. Like he has a plan for you. He, he's captivated you from the kingdom of darkness. He's brought you into his marvelous light because he has a good purpose for you. He's filled you with good gifts. Ephesians 2 says that you are his poetry. Like he, he, he stitched you together and weaved you together in a way that you might bring purpose and his light into this world. Isn't that beautiful? And so it's not just that Jesus is this transcendent, that he's so uh, huge and magnificent and marvelous. He is all those things, but he's also right here, present for I mean, Elijah, every single person in this room. He can forgive you of your sins. He can set your future on a different trajectory. He, he can orient your life and your heart and your desires away from the things that you keep going back to that cause you and bring you shame. And he can bring you into a space where you're not just trying to receive all this glory for yourself, but so that your glory actually rolls past something and goes on to Jesus Christ. 
so that your worship and your affection, your devotion doesn't just terminate on you and your life. Any one of us could have amassed this really great wealth. We could have had all the most beautiful relationships, the perfect marriage, wonderful kids, and all that means nothing. It's all vain. It's all fleeting if we don't know Jesus Christ. I, I was so struck this week as I'm thinking about this topic. There are a lot of Christian things you can do and it doesn't change you necessarily. You can come to church every week. That doesn't mean it's going to change you. You can hang out in a small group. That doesn't mean it's going to change you. You can read your Bible. Like, man, show me your Bible reading plan at the end of the day. Uh, It's not necessarily going to change you. You can do these Christian things. You You can have all the right, upright, moral behavior, but it doesn't change you. But you cannot meet the person of Jesus and leave unchanged. Jesus transforms it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that as we behold him, as we get our eyes up off of this world and we look at him, as we consider him, that's how we are transformed one degree of glory at a time into the image of the Son. Man, praise God for all that Jesus is and for all that he's done. He also, he also isn't just sweating our opinion about him. Don't you love that about God? There are so many opinions about who God is and how he's so bigoted and how he's so small and how his ways and the traditions are so uh, old school, yesteryear, whatever you want to call it. But God's not, God's not swayed and bent by human emotion or human opinion. He's God. Our human desires, our human emotions don't get to affect God's godness, right? Jesus is Jesus. He's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And that's good news for us this morning. Because of his opinion, listen, hold on. Because his opinion If his opinion about me and you could change, we probably would have changed it already. But his opinion doesn't sway. His emotions towards us don't change. He's he's in love with us. He's captivated to be with us. He longs to have this relationship with you and I together where where we work with him. God could have done anything he wanted with this world. When he spoke it into creation, Jesus could have just set it all into motion and backed out of the place and let it be. But instead, he desired to enter in, to be present with, to come into. And he doesn't need your participation to do his will on this earth. He doesn't. Like, I mean, he could have used anybody. He could have used animals. He could, even the rocks would cry out if we fail to praise him. But he chooses to. He chooses to partner with broken people like you and me to step into our stories, to redeem our past so we might be weaponizing the things that happened to us before against the kingdom of darkness. And praise God for Jesus. He's amazing. And there's probably no better passage that we could turn to to talk about Jesus than Colossians chapter one. Because it's really, it's one thing to talk at a really high level about who Jesus is. And we can say all these things and they're right but my hope for the rest of the time that we have together today is to maybe ground some real truth about who Jesus is. Is he over everything? Yes, he is. But now let's look specifically at some things because we need him to change our lives. So open on up to Colossians, Colossians chapter one, if you have your Bible with you. If you don't, it's gonna be on the screen. Colossians chapter one, starting in verse 15. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he was now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven of which I, Paul became a minister. I I couldn't even help but realize like as we're singing uh, in Christ alone, right? And he shall come with trumpets sound. May I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless I stand before the throne. That song, this verse, what it tells me is we're not gonna get in front of Jesus' throne someday and we're not gonna talk about the things that we accomplished. We're not gonna, we're not gonna go like, oh, but my church attendance. Oh, but did, uh, hey, I made it through Leviticus this last year, my Bible reading plan, Jesus. We're not gonna talk about how awesome your fantasy football team is, how awesome your kids were that you raised. We're not gonna talk about how awesome any of these things were. All you're gonna be able to say is, I am dressed in the righteousness of Christ alone. And if nothing else besides that, that's the only reason that I deserve to be here. Faultless I stand before the throne because of what Jesus has done. Jesus is over everything. And the first thing that Paul invites us into here in verse 15 is that Jesus is over creation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It says later, it says, for by him, all things that were created on heaven and on earth were made. So Jesus, like this, Jesus didn't just get created with the incarnation. No, he actually, he, he was God always, the second person of the Trinity. And then he steps out of heaven, puts on human flesh so that he might dwell among us. But before then, Jesus is present. He is the active creating agent with everything. God the Father willed, Jesus executed the will, and now the Holy Spirit just says, look at them, aren't they awesome? And he empowers everyone to just keep seeing them. This is how, there's this triune nature of God as they dwell in the Godhead in perfect unity and out of the overjoy of that creation spills onto the canvas of all creation. Everything is made, everything is put together. Jesus has all authority. He opens his mouth, he speaks and the universe just falls out. Not just the universe, but the way everything is held together, the way everything works together, all the ecosystems, all the systems of the world, everything is just spoken and it's made. He's so powerful that he doesn't even have to, you know, for all you kids in the room, he doesn't have to Thanos snap anything. He just opens his mouth and it happens. This is King Jesus, the second person of the Trinity that we're marveling at today. But here's what makes Christianity distinctly different than any other religion on the planet is that it's not just that he's over creation. It's that he willingly then stepped into creation. See, so every other religious story that you're going to hear about, every other uh, little G God, if you will, is all going to be a story or a narrative about how either we as human beings have to sort of uh, level ourselves up or morally increase ourselves so that we might become God-like one day. Do these set of rules and you can come and be in. Jesus himself says they can't make it in and so he steps into to save those which has, have become lost to him. Those who have rebelled and gone astray, he says, no, I'm gonna put on human flesh and I'm gonna put on the sin that belongs to them, the sin that is theirs. I'm gonna count it as my own. I'm gonna go to the cross so that God the Father sees us as holy and blameless and spotless. He sees us as perfect. And this is what makes 
like, I, I don't know what backstory you have coming in this room today, but what you have to know is Christianity is not just a way. It is the way. The way to eternal life is only by accepting Jesus in faith, by his blood being credited to your account so that you might stand before the throne righteous and holy. And he's the only God that you're ever going to read about who did that willingly, who not just created everything, everything and lords over all of creation, his rule and dominion are unchallenged by everyone, by everything. Yet he willingly, Jesus, lays that aside and puts on flesh so that he might dwell among us. It's not just that he's over creation. It also says in Colossians 1.16 that Jesus is over oppression, over fear, over shame, over all anxiety, over troubles and all pain. Uh, that song that we just sang, all of it, Jesus is over oppression. Pay attention here. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Here's what we probably just don't like to acknowledge as, as post-enlightenment American Western thinkers, is that there is a whole spiritual reality to the world that we're living in, an invisible world that we cannot see, but we can see it, can't we? Like we can see the evidence of Satan's work all over the world that we live in. Like we can see the darkness, we can feel the darkness, we can hear about the darkness, but there's something about this invisible battle that is going on. N not for heaven's throne, that has, been, that has been long settled, but for the earth that we now inhabit, there is this battle where the, where the enemy of your souls, Satan, is waging war against you to try and get your worship off of Jesus and onto something else. And what he's going to do is he's, he, he can't take you for himself. All of his authority, check this, is borrowed authority because all of Satan's authority has come from Jesus. And so it's borrowed. It's like the story of Job where, where the, you know, you get this idea of the devil's kind of asking, hey, can we do this in this way? And God's like, yeah, Job's my guy. You can't take him from me. And so Satan's best play is to oppress believers oppress people to try to distract them or to try to make them apathetic, to try to rob their attention away. But listen to me, if you choose to, Jesus belongs to you. If the Holy Spirit's working in your heart, Satan can't take that from you. He can't possess you, but he can't oppress you. He can't oppress you. I, I love this verse out of Revelation chapter 12. And someday we're probably going to do a series called uh, The Dragon and the Baby for Christmas. And it's going to be incredible. So let me, let's read this, okay? Stick with me for just a second, then I'll explain it. Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, And a great sign appeared in heaven. This is the Apostle John seeing something, receiving a vision. The best way to read through Revelation is not to say what's happening next right in front of me in Revelation. It's not in a linear order. It's what is John seeing next? So all of a sudden now John is seeing something in heaven and it's a great sign that's appeared. And it's a woman and she's clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant. So who are we starting to clue on that this might be? Mary. But it's not just Mary. Remember, this imagery is meant to, it's meant to incite something in us so that we might kind of be stirred up all the more into emotion and into, and into seeing this. It's not just Mary. It's also Israel. It's Israel. It's the church as, as God longs for it to be, the 12 tribes all put together in perfection. It says, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and she was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon 
with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Wouldn't this awesome, like this is an awesome picture of Christmas Eve, is it not? Like you got this baby, you got this woman, she's crying out in labor pains and there's this dragon just waiting. But listen to me, uh, the way that, uh, the way that, oh, what's his name? Oh, I was so close here, hold on. Eugene Peterson, author of the message version of your Bible. He says, Jesus' birth excited more than just wonder. It also excited evil. So you have to understand the devil's waiting to just ruin this plan, to rob this plan away from Jesus as he's putting on human skin. He's so, he's so fragile. He's so delicate. He, be, he, takes, on the, the, he takes on the flesh of a, a baby. Babies are, are not mighty. They are not powerful. Restrained easily. Broken. Like, I, you know, I, I, I love all my kids. I love, kid, I, I love the stage they're in now. We have a four-year-old as our youngest. But man, that baby, baby stage, you know what I mean? When they're like this big and you're kind of doing weird stuff like this as you hold them. Like they're delicate. You're like, if I don't hold this thing right, is its neck going to break? Like that's kind of how it feels, right? When they're like two weeks old. Like Jesus willingly takes on this position. And it says that in the unseen world, what we can't see, what we can't fully comprehend is that there's this dragon that's just ready to, to devour this baby. It says that she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. Literally that word could also be translated to bounced. And I just, I love that. (laughs) Satan just bounced out of heaven, right? Thrown down. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before our God? And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Please, if you zoned out for all of that imagery, all that wild stuff that's going on, listen to that last sentence one more time. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. He knows that he has a timestamp. He knows he has an expiration date. And so he is wreaking havoc on the world around him. He is wreaking havoc on you and me. How primarily? It says so in that verse, by accusation. By accusation. The devil is constantly trying to accuse you of something, anything to get your mind off the word of God. You know what it sounds like a lot of times? Uh, You know what? I'm just, I'm not gonna pray out loud right now because I'm just not that good of a prayer. I don't know how to pray. You don't know how to pray. Everyone knows how to pray. Listen to me. Say something like this. Jesus, I don't know how to pray. That's a prayer. You're doing it. Like that's it right there. 
pray, pray where you're at right now. You don't, don't pretend like you have to pray like some pastor that you heard on Instagram sometime that has this most eloquent, perfect speech all put together. Just pray where you're at. Pray, pray the language that God has given you. Pray the space that your heart's in right now. Lament, cry out in pain, cry out in anguish, rejoice, give thanksgiving, pray. Serpent wants to accuse you of saying like, man, you, you can't read your Bible. You can't understand your Bible. And the book, like, it's so complex. Do you even know where to start? It's like, hey, um, some of you understand like NFTs and stuff like that. Some of you put more research into fantasy football and you understand everything that's happening in the league right now. Uh, like, listen, we can go on and on down the line. Some of you have put together amazing systems at work. Some of you, have, you've done amazing, incredible, wonderful things. You've read every book on, on parenting. Like, you know, every type of disease just by Googling it right away. And you're like, man, I know the essential oil to throw on that thing right now to heal it instantly. Like you, listen to me, you can learn this book. Do you read it though? Because the, the devil would love to accuse you that you don't stand a chance understanding what this thing has to say. And I'm just here to, I'm just here to tell you today that is a lie from the pit of hell. That you can't pray, that you can't read, that you don't deserve friends, that you're not worthy of belonging in this community. Those are all accusations that the devil would love, to, he would love to just keep bombarding you with those so that he would keep you quiet, in the dark, on the sideline when it comes to Christianity. When God's saying, come in this game, come in this fight. I don't need your varsity level skills. I just need a willing heart that's willing to try something here. Get going, get in the game. Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't buy his lies because the only way that accusation gets power is from agreement. Let me say it again. The devil's gonna accuse you all day long. The only way that you give it power is by agreeing with him. And so the more that we as the church wanna just entertain these accusations that are being lobbed at us, and we agree with some of these things, that I'm not worthy, that I should be shame-filled, that I, I don't deserve, that I can't pray, that I can't do this. When we agree with it, we give Satan his power. Jesus has given you victory over everything that the devil wants to accuse you of. That doesn't mean you're just gonna step into it right away. I'm not saying that if you're filled with depression, if you're filled with anxiety, that you're just all of a sudden, just put your faith in Jesus and he'll make you completely better. No, but he will give you the tools to quit agreeing with the things that are lying to you so that you can begin to put your life on the right track away from those things because God wants to offer you an abundant, flourishing life. And the devil wants to steal every bit of that away from you. And so listen, we have to acknowledge that there is this spiritual battle, but we can take heart because Jesus has had victory over oppression. It says it right here. It says it right here in Colossians 1 that by him, like all of these things were made by him. Any power, any authority that they have right now, they're borrowed against his for now. And one day he's gonna take it away. One, listen, one day he's gonna take it all away from Satan. There's some of you in this room, like I know the story. I know what you're going through. You're battling, you're struggling, you're fighting. Don't give up. Keep pressing in. The devil longs to keep you oppressed. Keep going because one day I've read the end. That dude gets curb stomped once and forevermore. And we got to keep fighting. We got to keep pressing. It's not just that Jesus is over creation and over oppression. He's also over division. He's also over division. Colossians uh, 1, 17 and a little bit of verse 18. It says, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. So what this tells us right here that Jesus, it, it says that, 
also in Galatians. It says it also in Ephesians. What Paul's trying to communicate so much to the early church is that we have to quit allowing these little petty differences in the ways that we think or the ways that we act, the ways that we behave. Quit allowing these divisions in behavior or social class or gender, all these things. He says, no, there's, there's one new man in Christ. There's one new man in Christ. And so it doesn't matter if you came from this kind of a family or this kind of family. It doesn't matter if you have black skin, white skin, or brown skin. It doesn't matter if you, if you have tons of money or no money at all. What Jesus has done when he's come and he's put the payment down on the cross is he's saying, get in here, it is now one new family. I just, the Godhead dwelling in this perfect triune nature where there's the three, all, all, all God, all representatives, like all equally uh, just coexisting together. And yet we're so willing in the church to settle for these little factions and divisions that rise up in between us. And so listen, like, like we could go down the line in this room and we probably all don't think that the world should be governed in the same way. We probably don't all agree on how money should be spent. We don't all agree on how we should raise kids. But that none of those things should be as divisive as, as uniting as the cross is. We have, we have this thing where we get to stand together when we get to come in here and we get to sing in unity for what Jesus has done. We, we're, we're showing something that the world cannot really comprehend right now. Like I, I know this isn't so much for this room, but you know what this feels like out in the workplace, doesn't it? Like you know what this feels like when you go and you live your regular life from nine to five, Monday through Friday somewhere where you just know that division and contention and strife is just the normal language that the world is speaking out there today. And so what a witness of power, of Christ's power it is when we come in here and we say, no, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. See, I, I know when my heart is trying to drift towards division and away from Jesus, when I start thinking about myself all the time. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Like when you have this insatiable need for the attention in the room, well, not you. I know you, none of you all struggle with this. It's just me because I'm up here on this like platform. But when I start to like get the feeling that all of this is, this is about me and I, you know, I need, to, I need people to tell me this is a good sermon today. I need the affirmation. I need people to holler back when we're doing the whole preaching thing so that I feel, so that I feel good. When I, when I need the attention, when I feel like there's been an injustice that's happened and I need the reconciliation for my own benefit, that's when I, that's when I start to realize I made myself the center point of God's story. And you hear this all the time in subtle little ways in Christianity and outside the church where you hear people say like, well, Christianity just didn't work for me. Well, listen, Christianity isn't necessarily about you. It's about Jesus. And so, listen, if you, if you fall in love with Jesus, is it going to impact your life personally? Absolutely. We talk about that all the time. But you have to understand that the more that we get self-centered, the more we get self-focused, the Bible says, like, that's not how we're going to be transformed. That's not how we're going to be remade. It's, it's the old adage, the old saying that, that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Like there are other people in this room. And beyond that, this, this story, this book, it's about Jesus. It's, it's not like Austin isn't in here, actually. It's crazy. I've read the whole thing. Like I, I don't show up in this book. I'm not the center point of the story. Jesus is. And it's helpful to remember that because so much of what Christianity has become and what we've settled for today is about how I can focus on myself to make me better. 
Now, does God want better for your life? Absolutely, but you're only gonna get it by focusing on him, not by focusing on yourself. And the more we focus on ourselves, the more we lead into, we, we get around groups of people who, well, you ever notice how your small group thinks mostly like you think? You ever notice how most of the friendships in your life, they all kind of actually just look like you? It's because it's easy to hang out with people who agree with me all the time. Man, but get yourself embedded into a local church. Get yourself planted in and around other people who maybe don't think exactly like you think. But all of us have this one thing in common. All of us see Jesus as Lord, Jesus as King. And that starts to get our eyes up off my own self. And do I ask the question whether Jesus is working for me or not? I don't have to ask that as much because I see him working all around me. Because actually what Christianity is going to teach us, if we're going to read books like James that are kind of tough to swallow sometimes, it's that God's actually going to be doing something in my suffering, probably for the good of another believer. Are you saying that God would let me suffer so that someone else might benefit? Absolutely. Now God's never going to waste anything. There's nothing that you're going through in your life right now that he's not trying to form something deep inside of you. But don't get it twisted. It's not like I am not the focal point of human history. Neither are you. Neither are we as 2022 Americans. We get such this like, this like chronological snobbery. Like I said a couple weeks ago, it's what C.S. Lewis calls it, where we just think like, well, man, we've got it all figured out. And for all of this like enlightenment and progress, like progression that we're making and all these like intellectual things that we're starting to learn, it's all just revealing, isn't it? That we're actually not going anywhere. Like I just, I feel like the, the brokenness, the hurt in humanity is as ripe as ever. And, like, and I'm, I'm 32, so I, I understand. Like I, I don't have as big a perspective as some of you. Maybe, maybe some other years before this were a lot harder, but man, this looks pretty tough right now. And if I want to focus on all the tough things, all the broken things in me, all the things that are wrong with you all, it, it's, it's not hard to spot sometimes. Is that right? Man, if I get my eyes up off this, if I get my eyes up off the division and the contention and the strife and the, the, the backbiting and the fighting and all this petty stuff that we do as people, and if I get my eyes up on Jesus, what I realize is that there's a story he's writing on this world and I wanna be a part of that story. Like I wanna, I wanna see him do the things that only he can do. I'm not interested in necessarily the things that I can do. I wanna see the things he can do. So Jesus over division, but it's also Jesus over death and sin. Verse 18 through 20 of chapter one, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. He's made peace by the blood of his cross. And so Jesus, in his triumphant move, where he, where he gives his life, he lays his life down. The devil thinks he has the day won, only for Jesus to be the firstborn among the dead, for him to rise again, to, to put a death to the, to, the, to the lineage of Adam and to raise up in this second Adam, this redeemed version, where there is now no more sin present in, his, in that bloodline. Jesus never sinned. He was perfect. He was holy. He was spotless. And yet what we read in 2 Corinthians is that he who knew no sin willingly became sin so that we might wear the righteousness of Christ, right? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Sorry, that reference is wrong on the bottom there, but it's, it's out of 2 Corinthians. It says that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This, this is something that only Jesus could have done. 
There have been plenty of good men, honorable men, noble men who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for the sake of another. But there's never been a perfect God-man who's willingly laid his life down, nailed himself up onto a tree. It wasn't, it wasn't the Roman nails. It wasn't the soldiers. It wasn't the will of the, occupy, the forces at that time. That's not, that's not how Jesus died. Jesus willingly laid his life down because he had reconciliation with you and me in the insight that he had. He was saying, no, this is what it's gonna get. This is what we're gonna gain. This is what's gonna happen is because he lived this perfect, spotless, blemish-free life, he walked with no sin, never had a thought or a desire that was impure. He lays his life down. And now what happens is if you, anybody in this room, <laughs> this is the crazy deal, is if you just willingly say, all right, I'm gonna yield my life to yours. And if you take this step in faith because the Holy Spirit's pulling you to do so, and if you lay your life down, the righteousness that was on Jesus is now credited to your account. And even though you were dead in your trespasses and sin, the Bible doesn't talk about your sin. Like, well, even though you kind of struggle with this thing, even though you're kind of having a hard time here. No, you were an, you were an alien. You were a foreigner. You were a stranger. You were dead. You were hostile in your thinking. These are the kinds of words that the Bible uses to describe our life in sin before Jesus. We were an enemy of the kingdom. That's a big deal, isn't it? I mean, when we talk about you sing to this Jesus that's over everything, reigning and ruling, has all power belongs to him. And you're saying that I was, I was a rebel to that kingdom. Well, yeah. But then Jesus came and he put on flesh. He lived a perfect life and he bore the execution that you and I deserved so that you and I might look like the righteousness of Christ in front of God the Father. And so now we don't approach God with this timidity. We don't approach him with fear. We don't approach him with shame. We approach him with boldness is what Hebrews says. That we enter into his courts. We enter into his presence with boldness, knowing again, it's not my accolades that I'm standing on in that moment. Man, keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Keep getting in community. But that is not, that is not at all what you're going to be talking about on that day. You're going to go, it was Jesus. It was Jesus alone. It was him alone. And here's the last piece is it's also, it's not just Jesus over Seth and Din. It's also <laughs> death and sin. It's also Jesus over you and me. Jesus over you and me. Verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation. You know what I love about that last sentence? It doesn't say if you shift from like, you know, right and good, wrong behavior. But no, it says, just don't waver in hope. Keep pressing on in faith. Keep trusting that God has something for you. If we can keep pressing on in hope, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, the good news that it wasn't my good behavior that saved me in the first place, it was God's grace that saved me in the first place. If I press on in that hope, doing what I've heard, that is how I'm gonna to continue to reassure myself that I've been saved. I've said this so many times, but if you still have fight in you for the sin that is battling you in your life right now, if you're still fighting it, if you're still trying to put it to death, that is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you and that is the assurance of your salvation. And I'm gonna lovingly press here for just a minute. I, I absolutely believe that for some of you in this room, you've been willingly entertaining this pet sin in your life You've been just coddling this thing. And you've been saying to yourself, well, by grace, I'm saved. But Paul warns us, he says, that's anathema. 
you're, you're, what, what it means is you're damned if you believe that you can just be continually sinning and the grace of God is going to save you some more. And so yeah, I'm going to keep prevailing in this behavior because I know it's, grace has got me here. And so the days of us entertaining and coddling this pet sin while proclaiming the name of Jesus have to be over. Have to be over. We have to go, no, I'm, I'm going to take righteousness seriously. I'm going to take endeavor. It's, it's a grace-driven effort. Don't hear me wrong, but you can't just say, well, I'm just going to keep entertaining this thing. I'm going to keep doing this thing. Like, like Jesus, it says in all things, he will be preeminent, which means he will be nobody's second place. Hear me. He will be nobody's second place. He's, he, you are either going to be a trophy of his grace or a trophy of his right judgment of the world. And so what I, th- I think of the way this most likely plays itself out is by the way you spend your time, by the way you spend your money and the direction you go when you get yourself in trouble. If we just look at those three things, we're gonna see and we're gonna understand clearly what you value most. If you wanna test what's preeminent in your heart, preeminent, what that just means is it is like first among firsts. Like it is, it is distinguished as first in your life. And if Christ is going to be preeminent in your life, preeminent in your heart, that means that, that it should show up in your time somewhere. It should show up in your calendar. Doesn't just mean like you're gonna be all like, well, yeah, I'm checking this box Sunday morning. Here I am. No, no, no. Jesus is preeminent over everything. He should show up in your calendar much more than just Sunday morning. And pre- he's preeminent in your finances. Man, just follow your money to see what you love most. And that's not my opinion. That's the Bible's. Like you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Follow the money, follow your heart. That's where your heart is. Where, where your heart is, your treasure is. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. This is what the Bible's gonna show us. And so if you just wanna follow your pocketbook, open up your bank account, see where it's all going, you will find the thing that you love most. And then the direction that you run. When you blow it, when you like blow it, blow it, and you make a huge mistake, and every single one of us in this room, we've been there. We've done these, we've done these things. We've made these mistakes. We've had to ask for forgiveness. Where do you go in those moments? Because if you keep turning inwardly on yourself, it means that you're preeminent in your heart because you think that you can fix this. But if you believe in Jesus and if you believe his gospel, when you like, when you mess up, like when you royally mess up and you have to confess some things to some people that you love and you're like, your world might kind of fall apart for a little bit. When you turn to Jesus and do that, it shows that you believe in his grace. You believe in his right ruling of the world. You believe in him being Lord over all. You believe in his preeminence. And so the invitation is to turn to him. The invitation is to go that way. The invitation is to say, God, I'm, I'm wholly yours. I belong to you. I wanna orient everything around you. So Katie and I, we did this thing a few weeks ago that we've done uh, several times now in our marriage where we got away for a couple days and, and, and we just, we, we try to send like two or three days where we just go, okay, God, what, what do you want for our life, right? And I, I just, I would encourage every, every married person, every, every single person in this room, you should have some intentionality to your years because what I'm learning, again, 32, like I know some of you, you just kind of chuck with that because you're like child's play, you know what I mean? Like, like I remember 32, it was 32 years ago. It was easy, you know what I mean? I get that. But I also know at 32 now, like, like things just are going quickly. Like things just happen. Like and if, if I'm not intentional with, with my resources, if I'm not intentional with my time, like how many of you know, it just gets, it gets gobbled up all on its own. And it just zips by pretty quick. And so I, I would encourage everyone to do this. We, we set aside a couple days towards the tail end of the year to just spend some time reflecting on this past year 
and to spend some time looking ahead at the next year. And all of it is just, is going, God, okay, what, what do you want to do? And we'll, we'll talk through things like the church. And we'll spend time praying, God, okay, what do you, what do you want to do at Good Shepherd Church? Because I don't, I don't know if you're paying attention around here much, but like I, I say it all the time. I'm an Acts 4.13 guy, an edu- uneducated common man. I just hope that all you see when you see me is not some smarts, not some brain on a stick. But what I hope that you see when you see me is that I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I've been with him. I know him. Like, and so what, what this church is, is, is like, like if you were to look at the org chart, it is Jesus, then me, and I'm just desperately clinging on to him. Like, where are we going? What are we doing? That's what I want to do. That's the only, like this little bit of like Jacob, Jacob wrestling God kind of feel where I'm like, God, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Like, I'm not letting you go until you give me some direction. I'm not letting you go until you tell me what's, what you want to do here. Because if you don't want to do it, then I want nothing to do with it. So we go and we spend some time we some, praying for some direction for the church. We pray for some direction for our family, for our marriage, for the way that we're spending our time, the way that we're spending our money. We just go through that. And if what you're hearing me say is we have this priority list where we say, okay, God, here you are up top. And then it's the church down here or it's our family down here, the church down here, friends down here. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God has given us all these things. I don't have this priority list where Jesus is on top. I have a priority list where God transcends the whole thing. And that's how it should be for you. Don't put Jesus in this sidecar of your life. You got to say, God, I want to orient everything around you. And so, yeah, if that has to show up in my money, of course it does. Because my whole life is aimed towards you. It's this phrase that the, the reformers latched onto, which was soli deo gloria. The glory of God alone. We've talked about this before, but Bach used to put SDG He'd sign it on his, on his pieces that he would compose. What a beautiful reflection of the fact that everything that he created, everything that he made, everything he stood for in his life, he wanted to sign it with the fact that it all belonged for the glory of God alone. And that's what we're saying here. That's what I'm trying to communicate is that everything we do should be stamped S-D-G. God, I want you to be glorified in my marriage. God, I want you to be glorified with the way I'm raising my kids. I want you to be glorified with how I'm spending my money. God, I want you to be glorified. Would you be honored? Would you be pleased with the way this church is going, the direction the church is going? See, because I, listen to me, I, like I can't, I can't aim my whole life at you liking my preaching. I can't. I, I can't give my whole life over to making sure that we provide a comfortable space for you to attend on Sunday morning or that we provide the right kind of kids program for your kids. I can't give my life over to like, man, the, what our worship style just really nails it around here. We just, we have a great worship expression at Good Shepherd Church. You know what I can give my life to though? Is King Jesus undoing the pains and the hurts of the people that sit in his seats every single day. I, I can give my life over to Jesus on his throne, just making a mess of the kingdom of darkness, the light piercing through this dark world that we're living in, that I'll gladly give my life over to. I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm a full send, I'm going for it. But man, this is not, I hope what you think, I hope what you don't think about this church is, man, well, I really like the preaching style here. I really like the way they do kids ministry. I really love that they do a kids Christmas program. It's just so cute. And it, like, listen, it is, it's, it's really cute. It's adorable. But even this whole Christmas, the Christmas program tonight, all you're going to hear is the narratives of the nativity. You're just going to hear the gospel over and over and over and over again. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. Everything we do, our whole life is aimed at him. And so let me, as we kind of close today, let me just read our final value. Let me read this last bit for you and then we'll stand and we'll pray. 
Jesus over everything. It says he is preeminent and central in everything we do. He's unrivaled in history and eternity. His name is the only name that makes a way, the only name that saves. We don't just want people in a church building. We want people following wholeheartedly after him. We really don't want to be known for anything other than him. By him, to him, for him, and through him are all things. And so this church belongs to him. It's not about a pastor or a person or a community. It's all for him. Soli Deo Gloria. Would you guys stand? We're going to pray. Even if you would, you can kind of just posture your hands in a way to receive. And I'm going to spend just a a minute here at the top of this prayer praying for maybe some of you who uh, your worship to Jesus, let's just say it this way, has been a little bit compromised as of late. You have these kind of competing affections, competing desires for your time, for your money, whatever it may be. But you have this competition going. And so I just want to pray that that we would be able to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, put those things to death so that we might put on then the life of Christ. So if you would just, if that, if that is you, if that's resonating, if you just know full well that's where you're at, let's just pray like this, that God, I'm, I'm tired of living in both camps. I, to steal from Katie's words last week, I'm tired of being a friend of the ways of the world and pretending I'm a friend with you. I'm tired of being what James calls a, a double-minded man who looks at his face in the mirror one second and then forgets who he is altogether. That almost as it were, if there was like a mirror standing up right now, we can say in this moment in church, we feel really holy, we feel really good, we feel really sure that we're doing the right things, but then we walk away from the church service and all of a sudden we forget who we are and we're filled with compromise. I just know in a room like this, there, there's some people in that camp. And so right now we just, we just confess that we're done participating in that kind of lifestyle. We're just renouncing it. We're putting it off, God. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, we just invite you, would you come right now and help us now walk in repentance towards you? Yes, we're still gonna stumble. Yes, we're still gonna have days where we, where we mess up and we fail. But God, I pray that we would focus our mind's eye, focus our attention on the faithfulness of Jesus, that his grace is sufficient, that his love is unyielding and unwavering, God. We just ask that you would help us be captured by that thought for the whole church, we just pray, God, would we, would we get our eyes up off of this world? Would we get our, our gaze and our attention? Would we behold you, Jesus? Would we see the things that you want to do in our workplace? Would we see the things that you want to do in our life? God, would you see the way, would we help us see the way that you are moving in this world? We want to belong to you, Jesus. And so even if you've never made this confession right now, you can just, you can just say, God, I, I want to belong to you. I just yield my life to yours. I just ask God that in the death of my personal autonomy, would you be faithful to raise me up in new life, just like your death, burial, and resurrection? Jesus, I pray that you'd be glorified and pleased with everything that we do as a church everything we do as people, God, would we bring honor to your name, glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.